Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 21, I Love You to Death, from 1990. We've entered the 1990s, finally! I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, very special guest, Lindsay Gibb. Hello, Lindsay. Hi. I think it's very fitting that you're on this movie, that you're talking about this movie, because this, in a lot of ways, sort of seems like a lost Cage Club movie. Yeah. You know, in ways. Like, I was talking to Mike, it feels like this lead role, like if Kevin Klein said no, Nicolas Cage absolutely could have done this Kevin Klein role. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could picture that. Though, when I was thinking about Cage when watching this, I was thinking more about the Keanu role, just because of Mm. how cagey that role is. It's a weird, weird role. So this is the second time, right, Mike, that we've seen him as a hitman? Yeah, Act of Vengeance, right? Act of Vengeance, yeah, with Charles Bronson. This is another movie where I was just like, all right, where is he? And then he shows up, and unlike that movie where he's only on screen for five or ten minutes, I mean, he's pretty much here for the whole second half of the movie. Yeah, and a great entrance again. We thought his entrance in Parenthood was good, (laughs) but somehow managed to top that. And again, thinking about, you know, the Lost Cage Club, we have major characters introduced over a billiards table. And we have Keanu coming up and dropping this cue ball on the table for his cousin to shoot. This is such a cage movie in all the best ways. When you mentioned it to me earlier in the day, I was like, yeah, you could almost sense his spirit somewhere in here. I mean, (laughs) there's room for him to be anywhere in this movie. And even a new character. Yeah, I miss him. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Lindsay, had you seen this movie before you signed up to do it? Yeah, that's really why I picked it. I just really love this movie. In particular, I love Kevin Klein a lot. I feel like if I could write another book about an actor, maybe Kevin Klein would be worth it. Really? All right. So great. I've liked other movies that we've done so far, but this is the first movie that was sort of like, that reminded me of the early Cage movies where it sort of came out of nowhere and I just loved it. It's one of those ones that I didn't know anything about, and I wasn't sure what to expect, and I just walked away loving this movie. It's just so weird and sort of silly. It's shot in a way. like There's a thing that I read that the director and the cinematographer wanted to shoot it not like a comedy at all, because like, it's really serious and like sort of dark stuff that they're doing. I don't know what it was. It just it grabbed me, and I love this movie. It's so watchable in the same way that like Moonstruck is watchable. I find like I can just watch Moonstruck over and over, because there's just so many different bits and pieces happening. And I feel like this movie is similar in that way, where there's like every character is really interesting, every little bit is hilarious, and there's just a lot of layers to it. Well, I might be on my own then, whereas (laughs) I I didn't dislike or hate this movie, but I definitely, it took me a while to get into this, and not really until Keanu showed up could I really engage all the way with this movie, which was surprising for me because this was directed by Lawrence Kasdan. And, you know, aside from writing some of my favorite movies, he also has directed stuff like Big Chill and Grand Canyon. And I almost thought it should have been shot more like a comedy. I was thinking maybe like Frank Oz or the Coen brothers should have made this movie because I like the situation and the story and the murder plot. I I like that whole thing. But I don't want to say it fell flat entirely, but it definitely took me a while to uh, like engage with this movie. I don't know what it is about it. it I'm glad that Lindsay brought up Moonstruck because it feels like, I think just because it's these Italian-Americans, right? <laughs> yeah. That we, it feels like Johnny Canterbury. I guess, aspect to it, too. 
Mm-hmm. What's weird about it, and I don't, I don't know if I missed it early on or whatever, but early on in the movie, Kevin Klein's watching like a Sonics game, like a Seattle Sonics, and I'm just like, that's weird because like this movie definitely takes place in New York, and then later you see his car with the license plate is Washington State, and the license plate is Pizza Man because he owns a pizzeria, but like it feels like it has this, like, this real sort of New York italian vibe and that just set in seattle and i'm not sure why that is because we know that the pacific northwest can be shot to sort of look like anything and this might have even been shot like in vancouver as we know with Lindsay's canadian experience there's a lot of things shot in canada to make it sort of look like wherever but like it has this this new york vibe and the fact that it's unabashedly in seattle it's, it's sort of weird yeah i didn't really think about where it was i guess the thing about kevin klein's character he he doesn't seem to have any family family around him it's more like her family is there like her mom is there so maybe he's transplanted from somewhere else i don't i don't know i think his mom does actually show up at the very oh, end yeah. and that, that threw me for a complete <laughs> loop because right. i like you just assumed he was just a loner you know he had no family left and yeah i definitely thought this took place in new york as well and i don't even think it's seattle i think it might even be spokane which is even sort of more remote you know <laughs> I, it's just it's just it's a funnier sounding name than Seattle. Maybe that <laughs> helped. Kevin Klein plays this guy named Joey. Great name, obviously, who owns a pizzeria. And his pizzeria is sort of like stacked with Hollywood talent. I mean, we just saw Tracy Ullman on the Tracy Ullman show. She is his wife and a waitress. He's also got yeah. River Phoenix, who we talked about recently, brother of Leaf Phoenix, who we just saw in Parenthood. And he'll be in two future Keanu Club movies coming up in the next few years before he unfortunately passes away at the age of 23. Everybody that we need to know and care about until the hitmen show up, Keanu and mm-hmm. William Hurt, until they show up later, like everybody that we know and care about is really involved in this pizzeria. And so it's sort of like this really tight knit, and that's the whole thing, right? It's all about, you know, families and relationships and treating each other well and respecting one another, sort of. Well, yeah, exactly. Sort of. <laughs> or thinking that you should be doing that and you're not. The whole oh, no. movie starts with. Kevin Klein's Joey confessing to his priest or whatever. And that part, I like just from the beginning, I was howling laughing <laughs> because I don't know, like there's nothing that I can even describe about that scene. Like he's just going through, Oh, you know, I've cheated on my wife. And then he's trying to figure out the order in which, and like how many people he's slept with and all of this stuff. But it's, it's partially just his delivery. And also the fact that he has the worst Italian accent. <laughs> But it somehow works, I guess because it's a comedy, also probably just because it's Kevin Klein. It works so well. I cheated on my wife. You committed adultery? Yes. How many times? Uh, Five times the last two weeks. Wait. No. That's wrong. It was was, uh, four times uh, this week. Uh, with three women, and uh, three times last week with two other women. Wow. Plus, one of the women from this week was the same as last week. Or maybe two of the women was the same. So uh, I guess that uh, makes, uh, what, uh, I don't know, seven times? I mean, it was more than uh, seven times, Father. It was was more like uh, 10 or 12 times, but... You know, it was like on uh, seven different occasions, uh, only with five different women. Uh, uh, But uh, some of the women, uh, more than once. And I think that really does a good job of setting up 
you know, basically the first act of the movie too, because you know that he's unfaithful and that's going to be what gets him into trouble. I definitely am a big fan of Kevin Klein. I don't, I don't know. Maybe if it was the accent that took me a while to like. I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily yeah. even a very likable character. You come to learn, but it definitely took me a while to adjust to him doing the accent. And it was just another thing that reminded me now of Cage and you know, Cage <laughs> doing his Captain Corelli or something like that. But I definitely loved River Phoenix in this as Devo. You know, I thought that was a great name too. And I think he's he's just um he's just like a great contrast to the Kevin Klein character Joey also, where Joey is supposed to sort of embody, you know, masculinity and all of that kind of stuff. And then River Phoenix is sort of like this gentle soul of a man, a little younger, but just I like the contrast that's gonna play out between the characters. And not only contrast between the characters in that sense, but also Joey not really faithful at all to his wife, and Devo probably a little bit too mm-hmm. in love with Joey's wife. Even though we never really talk about it, that's sort of hinted at, and I think people ask him about it a little bit. I think even Joey asks him about it, you know what I mean? But like, it's sort of unspoken, but like he's, he's in love right. with Tracy Ullman, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> or at least totally devoted uh, to her. Like, he may not right. have any real romantic feelings towards her, but he just like completely loves her and thinks she's the best it contrasts so well because kevin klein joey's it's not that he doesn't love his wife i think he just sort of takes yeah. her for granted at one point early on in the movie when we see him with one of his first people that he's like quote unquote fixing her pipes because he also in addition to owning this pizzeria owns the building and sort of right. does maintenance work and she asks him if you're such a good catholic why do you commit adultery and he says i'm a man i got a lot of hormones in my body and basically it's just like i, I just gotta have sex with women like that's mm-hmm. just what i gotta do and it's not like he's like i you know my wife drives me crazy or anything because it seems like they get along it's just he's just got a lot of hormones yeah, he in his keeps body. telling all the women like victoria jackson that who really seemed to want to be with him permanently he's like no i'm married what are, what are you thinking like no i love my wife <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic and it's kind of it reminded me of just like very old school almost sopranos-esque you know like that tradition where it's like yeah you have your wife and then you have your side piece you know i don't see the problem with that is what they would say so it's sort of like a stereotype and a trope and i think it works well in the movie because they sort of use each of his girls in a way to set up comedic situations like when he meets phoebe cates at the bar and they go home like i thought that whole thing was great like his whole speech there was fantastic and the stuff with the dog at her house and like later heather graham's gonna show up looking for a room Mm -hmm. you know so yeah yeah it's just like this stereotype integrated really well i think into the story i noticed that phoebe cates wasn't credited in the movie and they were married like the year that this was made. So I'm assuming that he just, you know, fought for her to be in the movie and there she was. Yeah. So I read about that, that he requested that Phoebe Cates take a small role in the film and did it as a cameo appearance and as a favor to Kevin Klein. And she was also filming drop dead Fred at the same time. So apparently she has like the same hairdo in both (laughs) movies, which is because she was just sort of like, I guess kind of moonlighting as, this cameo role for probably like two days or whatever she was on set. Yeah, I think she really jumped off screen. I totally forgot that they were married and uh, it's kind of sad that she didn't like come back later. And and I think maybe that's maybe my one sort of thing about this is like a lot of things are just kind of dropped, you know, like there's just a lot of 
I don't, they don't they don't feel like skits necessarily, but there's like set pieces in this, and they just feel like we're gonna just see a character for the moment, and they're never gonna really come back, uh, aside from our main cast. And that's not like necessarily a a big problem. It's just I wasn't expecting. I was just sort of expecting this to all be set up, but it, it's more just to get like a tight grip on the Joey character and where he's coming from in that side of the story, I guess. Yeah, I think that kind of works because it's sort of how mm-hmm. he treats them too. Like, you know, he just sort of picks them up and like drops them and then doesn't go back to them. Or, you know, if, if he happens to run into them again, like, you know, if she calls for another time that her, her pipes are broken or whatever, he'll go take care of that. But like, he's not actively seeking out an affair with any of these girls. He's just doing it because he can. And so the movie, as such, is sort of like, well, if he's just doing it because we can, like, we don't have to go back. So I'm like, as much as I would sort of like to see if they figured out a way to do it funny, like have Phoebe Cates return, like, I'm sort of, I'm satisfied with her role in the film. I don't necessarily need to go back and see what she's up to. Or Plus, I think also, like, we don't want to see all these women just, like, clamoring for him, right? It's not like he's, like, this irresistible catch. He charmed Phoebe Cates, who was there with somebody, and seemed completely uninterested in, in, in him until he started sort of wooing her. You know what? I know something about you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah? What do you know about me? I know you've never been in here before in your life. Really? How do you know that? Maybe I have. No, if you'd been in here, I would have known about it. People would have talked about it. Like, uh, hey, Joy, you see what was in here the other night? My God, what a beauty. <sighs> true no 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 someone like you doesn't come around that often it's like national holiday you know what i mean you don't forget it if he has no intention of staying with any of these women he'll go back to the ones who are like easy to access i guess like the ones who live in his building but otherwise he just moves on guess what threw me is i sort of was expecting a whole different movie which is maybe why i should rewatch this again like i almost thought this was going to be entirely taking place at the pizzeria he'd be juggling all of his affairs and then somewhere in the second act they'd all get together and form some sort of girlfriend club and they'd all then like get revenge on him somehow but the movie doesn't go that way at all it's much more of a dark comedy than than something like that that might be more slapstick yeah, if you want to see that, just go watch The Other Woman from the, from a couple of years ago with Jamie Lannister in it. I mean, that's that movie, and that movie did not turn out well. It's just, you know, it's all the affairs finding out about each other. But what I do like is that, like Lindsay just said, that the girls he goes back to over and over again are the ones, the, the convenient ones, the ones that live in his building, which I think is why it's funny if you think about it. And I didn't think about this when watching it, but now thinking about it now, is that, you know, maybe he and Heather Graham sip Miss McGill's tea together or whatever and he really enjoyed it and then he's like hey you know I got a, I got an apartment like why don't you move in the building so like I like that this idea that all the girls that he really really likes has them move into the building yeah. so that it's convenient right. for them to sort of sleep with them. It's almost like he's collecting them in a way and something and, and it might also <laughs> explain why when they hear gunshots they don't call the police later in the movie they're just like oh, Joey's getting what's coming to him. <laughs> Another cameo, sort of, except there's no way that you would really recognize it unless, like, I had to look it up, but Shiri Appleby, who was in Girls and who's now the star of Unreal, which I can't believe I'm saying this, but, like, one of the best shows on TV right now is on Lifetime Network. Shiri Appleby plays this, like, the like this 12-year-old girl who comes up to Tracy Ullman in the park when she's crying. So, like, it's weird that we see, like, a really young Heather Graham. We see Phoebe Cates a little bit older than we saw her in Fast Times for Cage Club. And we have this really, really young Shiri Appleby showing up. So, this movie's sort of like a crossroads for a lot of different actors and a lot of different things that, aside from River Phoenix, don't really have anything to do with Keanu, but sort of a lot of our other interests in the world. 
yeah, Lawrence Kasdan movies always seem to have like at least his best movies always seem to have like a really great ensemble cast. Like if you look at like the big chill, right? Like I mean William Hurt's in that too, so is Kevin Klein. You know, there's just <laughs> there's just lots of people that went on to be big. And Grand Canyon, you got like Danny Glover and Steve Martin and that's also another ensemble thing. And yeah, I just think the cast here works like there's a lot of chemistry going on especially when the movie gets going in the second act you know when after tracy Ullman finds out for sure after hearing it for what seems like months and months that she actually catches kevin klein at the library i feel like once that happens for me the movie really ramps up a level and everybody starts bouncing off each other really well and also speaking of cameos we have lawrence kasdan himself as river phoenix's lawyer a little bit later in the movie and we also have the screenwriter I read. I don't know what he looks like, but we have the screenwriter as a patron in the pizza restaurant. So there's always like little cameos that not only are they people that we know from other movies, but also just sort of fun, like, hey, like, why don't you just go in this movie for a little bit? What we did for Parenthood, what I really appreciated about the Parenthood episode, we talked a lot about Keanu and his role, and I want to get to that. But before we get there, I just like this movie so much that I, I don't mind talking about things that aren't just Keanu based because I just like this movie but what I like is that you know on one of his trips out of the home to repair the pipes of someone in the building Tracy Ullman has a line that says I can never get you to fix anything at home which I think is really funny because she doesn't know the full implications or ramifications of what he's doing and so she's just like why don't you fix anything around here and she's like well you don't really know exactly what he's doing what I like about her is that she's written in a way that she's super naive like she doesn't realize what's going on until she catches him in the act but it doesn't come off as stupid and i'm not sure how that's (laughs) done but like it's respectful in a way that she should obviously know what's going on but she just like has faith in her husband and loves her husband and i I don't know why it works but it works i'm not sure if either of you have an idea of what how that happens yeah, it's just, a, I guess it's just a testament to Tracy Ullman. I'm not really sure how she swings it either. I'd say for me, the weakest part of this movie, and I'm, you know, sorry, you guys are loving it so much, and I do like it, <laughs> I'm just not praising it, you know, but I think the weak thing for me is kind of the script and some of this dialogue and a little bit of the situation they have to f- kind of feels like they have to force these characters through a few doors to get them into the room they want them to be in, but I just think everybody is such a good actor and we got a good director that she's pulling it off like really well. Cause I was thinking the same thing, Joe. I was like, this kind of feels like it shouldn't work, but I'm buying it entirely. I don't know why it hooked me, but like, if it didn't hook me, I would also be like, well, why is she in the library? Like, why are, oh, why are any oh. of them in the library? You know what I mean? Like, why is he, <laughs> why is he in the library? Like, with his girl like why are they making out in public why is she in the library returning things if i was sort of not on board with this movie i would have problems like that too but just for whatever reason because it worked there was something it just, about the library that actually it, helped me get on board a little more to be honest because i was okay this is something dated this is truly you know 1990 you had to go to the library and like people just kind of hung out there met other people you know there was no internet there's none of that kind of stuff so i was kind of like wow he probably just trolls the library picking up chicks like that might be one of his spots to go <laughs> to you never know and uh that's where Tracy Ullman goes because she's a, a reader and, and to save money, you have a library card. I mean, I work in a library. People still go to libraries, guys. <laughs> but yes. But do you, have, do you have people like setting up yeah, secret trysts at the library? You know, I work in a university library, so yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> but it's also at the library that when Tracy Ullman catches him in the act of just kissing this girl, that things 
set in motion because I think at one point her mom asked her like what would you do if you ever found Joey cheating on you and she said well I would kill him and then kill myself like that'd be devastating and then she sees him kissing so in she tells her mom and the two of them sort of hatch this murder plot yeah it's apparently based on a true story (laughs) now the extent to which I mean, it's probably just based on the fact that someone tried to kill her husband for cheating on her. (laughs) That's about the entirety of the story. This kind of feels like another Italian thing where it's just the overreaction quality of their emotions and relationships and stuff. Just the idea of the wife finding out and, you know, I'm not going to kill him and actually kill him. Uh, I thought that was funny that they <laughs> played that out. And, and I also started feeling a little more moonstruck as just in the sense that this gets kind of operatic, even though there's a weird lack of music like the actual um like the plot and the story and the way that it becomes like this murder plot and it's like impossible to achieve murder plot too i really fell into that and i i like the comedy they were going for with that i don't know if it's a tragedy through the lens of comedy or comedy through the lens of tragedy but in the end like everything sort of works out so it's not really a tragedy at all so i guess it's just sort of a comedy dressed up in tragedy clothes. But talking about how it's based on a true story, I don't know why I made this decision in the opening credits. Maybe just the way that it, the based on true story sort of came up in like this weird sort of word art font that spun around. But like from the very beginning, you know, Mike, you mentioned them earlier. I got yeah. like a Fargo vibe. I'm just like, I have the sense this is, you know, even though this is based on a true story, like it's not really based on a true story. Like it might be based on like a headline somewhere, or like somebody hearing about it and then just sort of going out on their own, I was on board for sort of like a suspension of disbelief, not worrying about reality or anything like that. And so, so I, was on board. I guess back when I watched this years and years ago, I read up on the true story and it was a woman who repeatedly tried to kill her husband and then ended up going to jail <laughs> for four years for attempted murder because she never succeeded. So that's where the comedy aspect comes from is the fact that she probably in real life, she just kept trying to kill him. Whereas in this, it's like, yeah, she keeps trying to kill him, but it's all in one night. And so it's, yeah, poison him, shoot him, get someone else to shoot him. None of it works. Joey in this movie is almost like Rasputin. To <laughs> totally. <laughs> and so the first murder plot that they have, and I think it's four or five, and we'll, we'll count as we go along. But the first one is they just hire a guy that the mom is friends with some woman whose grandson they hire. And the only reason he's going to do it is because his grandma is friends with Tracy Ullman's mom. And what I thought about, funny, a little bit of foreshadowing for a couple episodes down the line, he shows up in an Abraham Lincoln mask. I'm like, that's a dead president's mask. It's all all blending together into one universe. Yeah, and uh, not only that, maybe some backshadowing is a term, but the Brotherhood of Justice used to dress up and terrorize their town. They had a couple Mm. of president masks on as well. Those masks are always going to be part of Keanu Club forever and ever. He just sort of panics and he runs away and nothing happens. And this being a comedy, Kevin Klein just sort of chalks it up to nothing really happening. Right? Well, he buys a gun after that, right? And <laughs> Tracy Ullman's like, great. Now he's going to be able to defend himself. It's going to be that much harder to kill him. But he only buys like a twenty-two, and that, you know, they use it on him later. It's not very useful. <laughs> they say in the movie it yeah. doesn't pack enough of a punch. That it's just like this tiny little gun that just literally it grazes him and like goes through his chest and like doesn't doesn't do anything. And then murder plot number two, the mom who apparently is good with cars, which I don't know if we see that before this point, but she's good with cars and she tries right. to plant a car bomb. Yeah. And then Tracy Ullman gets in the car with him to go to work. And this is something that like I got the sense 
if this was like Moonstruck, like I just sort of for some reason thought that they yeah. lived above the pizzeria, but they don't. It doesn't make sense that they don't live near the pizzeria, but whatever. And they're going to drive to work, and so the mom's freaking out that, you know, not only is she going to successfully kill Joey, but she's also going to kill her daughter, and then right. the car bomb just doesn't work. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then murder plot number three is they're going to make him a bowl of spaghetti, and they put two entire bottles of sleeping pills in there. And not only does it not kill him, but he says to them that it's the best <laughs> spaghetti sauce that he's ever eaten or the best spaghetti that he's ever had. And so not only do they not kill him, but, like, it's almost like they're they're helping out this guy that they actively yeah, want to murder because he eats so much of it because he likes it so much he just keeps mopping up the sauce with the bread and it's crazy the amount of sauce that he eats and doesn't die <laughs> yeah it almost seems to fuel him in a way like give him more <laughs> yeah. power or keep him from sleeping in a way <laughs> It's important how much he eats, as we'll learn a little bit later, because it's because he basically ingests so much sleeping pills that the bleeding, when he does get shot later, spoiler alert, that the bleeding does not bleed him out. So, like, it works. And that's another thing. Like, like the movie just sort of, in this weird, bizarre, crazy, heightened logic world that it's in, it all still makes sense. Like, they still have things that set up to pay off later. So even if you're not necessarily on board, I think it works as a script in that regard. Yeah, I think, again, too, once this whole murder plot gets going, that's when I'm really into it. And it made me think of The Prince of Pennsylvania, Joey, because in that movie, you know, there's like 20, 30 minutes left and he decides to kidnap his father. And we kept talking about, no, that should have happened 20, 30 minutes into the movie. So when they commit to the murder stuff, you know, I'm like, yes, now I know for the rest of the film... What, what I'm dealing with, and I can just kind of sink into it. And there's one scene that really did it for me, too. It was like a transitional scene in a way where she finds out that her husband's cheating and she goes home and she takes the sleeping pills and, and it kind of goes from suicide to divorce to let's murder him, all in the span of like this little conversation with her mother. And then I was like, okay, for me, I was like, the movie has begun. Yeah, I mean, it's such a simple thing. That's what makes me so mad about like movies like The Prince of Pennsylvania, because like the whole point of that movie, in a sense, is the kidnapping plot, and it doesn't get going until after an hour. Here, the whole point is that you know she's going to kill him, and it's such a simple thing. Like This is now the second act of the movie. Just, just the fact that they put it at the right mm-hmm. timing makes all the difference. Before we get to where Keanu comes in, I have to admit that I picked this movie because I loved it, but I had no memory of Keanu being in it. I knew that he was because it was one of the movies in your list, but I had to rewatch it to see who he was. And wow. This was another movie, and we've had it a few times, and obviously I know what Keanu Reeves looks like, but it's also one of those things where like he's not in it for 45 minutes. I'm just like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't miss him, right? Like right. It's not like he was like in a cameo in a scene where like I looked down when I was taking notes or something, and like, I looked up and he was gone. But then I looked at the list, and like, you know, he's like sixth or seventh build, and I'm like, how are we not there yet? How are we not to William Hurt yet? Like, where are they? Like, how, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. I, I expected because they had such similar names, Harlan and Marlon James, that we were going to get them together. <laughs> so I was just kind of waiting for the two of them to arrive. And these guys are going to be in the rest of the movie. They can't kill Joey on their own. So they finally have to hire somebody again to do it this time. They hire two people instead of one person. I was also, where's Keanu? And uh, when he shows up, I just truly feel like he doesn't disappoint one day. (laughs) Not at all. Well, actually, before we get to him, I do want to mention murder plot number four is that they have River Phoenix come over and they take Joey's gun while he's passed out from all the sleeping pills. And they have him shoot 
or try to shoot him. And it just sort of, I guess we find that at the very end of the movie, right? It kind of grazes his head, like sort of behind his ear a little bit. He's like, I think I hit him, but it's, it's nothing more than just like a, an attempt. Yeah, and that was, um, yeah, he like closes his eyes, right? And, or he says he didn't look when he shoots. And, and I just felt really bad for his character because like I mentioned earlier, like he's someone who would never hurt a fly, but because he's in love with Tracy Ullman, he'll do anything she says. So he's willing to finish off the murder for her. But he's completely incompetent in that part. So total <laughs> and, failure. Then, and then he can't do it again. He's like, I, I, he needs to be shot again, but I can't be the one to You're going to have to shoot him again. No, I can't. I, I can't believe I did it the first time. I, I can't believe you let me do that. Well, then if you can't do it, then you'll have to find someone who can. I'll put up the money. We need professionals. This has to be done right away. Oh, you know someone? I need to collect myself. Because, I mean, if you think about it, he's just like a 20-year-old kid. You're basically saying, hey, kid, kill your boss, kill my husband because he cheated on me. And she's like, all right, well, like, I guess, you know, I'm kind of in love with you, so I guess? Oh, yeah. Like, it's just, it's a lot to ask of anybody, let alone a, a Well, one a of my child. favorite characters now it, that we're talking about it is the mother, Tracy Ullman's mother. She's almost like the mob boss. She's like, with River Phoenix, come on, like, do it. Like, what's wrong? You know, so, like, she's always sort of there on the shoulder. If Tracy Ullman can't get him to do whatever she needs him to, the mother's there, too. Well, she sort of knows that, like, business needs to get done, right? We can't be messing around. We gotta yeah, she take seems very out. old school, too, almost from, from the old world, even. <laughs> That's how we <laughs> used to do things. So after murder plot number four fails, they go to this bar and we find Harlan James and his cousin Marlon at the billiards table, like we talked about before. And this is sort of, it's similar in a way that we talked about a lot with the Parenthood episode, Mike, where it's the same kind of character in a sense of this like burnout stoner slacker guy. But it's like they saw what he's done before and like, all right, we're going to amplify this like three levels higher we're gonna just make him like super super out there really really dumb but like it works and i think it works so beautifully because we've seen him in the role and this is sort of like an extension or an elaboration of the role but also he has like william hurt to bounce off of and like this this partnership works really well i think in terms of setting up this character these guys are like the demented bill and ted Right? Like the Bill and Ted heroin addicts instead of guitar enthusiasts. Right. And, and I think Keanu is still typecast to a degree, but what works is, you know, everything I think up until this point has been PG or PG 13, and this time he gets to go R rated. So he can be a junkie, he can take that persona darker. And I think it's great. And maybe at this point, I was just looking for cage connections, but he reminded me of Max California, which also, you know, from 8mm, which is Joaquin Phoenix. And so we have the brother River Phoenix, but he's just sort of this, like, this beautiful stoner who's, like, embedded in this seedy underbelly of a world. And just, I mean, just visually, he kind of looks like him. And I don't know, I'm not sure if that's my brain kind of playing tricks on me, that that's not actually the case, or if you guys want to back me up. That's just what it reminded me of. Oh, yeah, I I definitely remember 8mm. I think... River Phoenix had a few more tats on him, but aside from that, I mean, jo- Joaquin. I think Phoenix, uh, Joaquin had a few more tats <laughs> on him and may have been a little more lucid more of the time than Keanu. But they're definitely rocking that same type of edgy look. 
His hair, I think, is leftover from parenthood in a way. That's what I was thinking because in parenthood, remember, they sort of shave each other's hair a little bit. And we were kind of wondering if maybe he was wearing a wig in that. But now I'm thinking, okay, I took it there in parenthood. Let's like carve up my hair even more in this one and make it look like I might have just had brain surgery or something. I don't know. He's really out there. Yeah, he's got some weird patchy spots on his head. It's a very interesting, yeah, to say the my, least, haircut. My only note about Keanu in this was that I loved his hair. <laughs> it is. I, see, I haven't seen <laughs> Parenthood in a long time, so I didn't realize that there might be a connection with the hair. But yeah, for sure. It's like shaved underneath in like weird spots, and then it's long on top. And he's got a nose ring. <laughs> yeah. And a weird beard. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. It's terrific. And, like, when he's introduced, River Phoenix goes into the bar in disguise, and he's, like, wearing a Fu Manchu mustache and glasses, <laughs> and the bartender's like, yeah, it's you, Devo, just, like, they're waiting for you in the back. And so, I thought that was really funny. And <laughs> <laughs> William Hurd is passed out on the pool table, and Keanu kind of crawls up from underneath with the, uh, with the ball and p- places it down. And, you know, that whole little moment there was just perfect for me. I was really, at this point, I was like, all right, these guys are great. I'm glad they're around, and I hope they stick around the rest of the movie. And luckily for us, as opposed to other times where, you know, we've had characters that we love come and go, they're here to stay, that they're offered $300 to kill a man, and it doesn't seem like a whole lot. I think they negotiated up to like $400 or no 500. But I mean, even that, like they're such like low rent criminals that of course they're not going to get the job done. Like if you're only willing to spend a couple hundred dollars, like kill somebody, you know, you're, you're not exactly hiring the best of the best here. I'll tell you, we'll do it for 600, $400. He's practically got one foot in the grave. 550. What do you say? If we're going to waste the dude, we ought to get paid for it, man. That's the American way, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're not communists here, you know. We're Americans. We've got a right to make a living. $500. That's my final offer. Yeah, and they don't know what they're doing because they admit when they're at the house that they've never (laughs) done this before. Yeah, it's almost like they just heard job and money and they didn't even hear anything else. And then once they got there, I was like, oh, this is what we're going to be doing here. (laughs) But that negotiation scene, Joey, reminds me of the night before where he's high on something and he's negotiating to sell his prom date and he keeps sort of going up and down and up and down. I mean, Keanu in his movies has not been a great negotiator. We'll wait till speed to see how that turns out negotiating (laughs) with him. But so far, no good. They, they sort of confer, Keanu confers with William Hurt, and I, what I love about that, like, they do this at least two times, maybe more than two times, but like they have this great discussion, and William Hurt's like, alright, go ahead and tell him, and just Keanu just says, okay, we'll, just, we'll do it. But like they have like this grand, right. you know, should we do this? Should, like We don't hear what they're saying, but like, you know, they're, they're weighing the pros and cons, just like, okay. Like, it just, it's always just, okay. Yeah, I really think the, the two of these guys do have good chemistry, even though I think they're a few years apart in age, you know, there seems to be a generation gap between them. I'm not sure. But they have this good bit where Keanu keeps forgetting the name of the guy they're trying to kill. Like, I love that because William Hurt's <laughs> just like, you know, the guy and he still doesn't get it. When they show up at the house in a cab and they start walking in the wrong direction and they have no idea where they are half the time and yet they come into the room and try to act like everything is totally normal, but William Hurt's like knocking his head on the chandelier. I mean, these guys are just, I'm loving everything they're doing. 
I almost want them to show up in more movies the way like Jay and Silent Bob show up in other movies. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of like the Coen Brothers characters in this. Yeah, absolutely. What's great is that the world that the movie inhabits is like this bizarre world where like things are heightened, obviously. But everybody else, aside from them, is sort of grounded. I mean, the fact like what they're doing is crazy, but they're all like normal characters. And these two weirdos come in. And they just, like, you know, find the Reggie Jackson bat, and they start uh, chanting Reggie. Yeah. And then from like, outside the room, if you're not watching what they're doing and, like, just sort of hearing through muffled walls, like, what they're talking about, it, it's just like, <laughs> like, oh, they want reggae music. Like, they're, everybody's, everybody's just trying to make sense of what's going on, and, like, nothing makes sense because they're just, like, the world that they're from is so different than the world that, that everybody else lives in. that Joan Plowright is looking for something to play, and then... Uh, River Phoenix is like, they want reggae. They're calling for reggae. What's reggae? Look at that. What? That's a Reggie Jackson model. Oh, yeah. Oh. Reggie. 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 I love Reggie. Oh, me too, man. He's the greatest. Reggie. They want to hear reggae music. Reggae? Yes. No, it's, it's right here somewhere. I know it is. I, I'll be waiting outside. Why? Because I can't stand this anymore. I do like the way this movie increasingly gets out of control and crazy. River Phoenix is sort of doing the weirdest stuff so far, but then once the plot passes him in bizarreness and craziness and lunacy that all comes to the head where we can't kill the husband then you can introduce characters like the cousins because the story has gone so crazy and we're with it that we can now bring in these crazy larger than life characters and it won't feel as out of place in fact for me it felt totally natural and something that i almost wish happened a little sooner well i guess what works is that tracy allman and her mom are such suburban mothers that they are out of their depth when it comes to something like hiring murderers. And so when you get people like William Hurt and Keanu Reeves showing up who are totally not murderers, they're just drug addicts that need some money. <laughs> they're just the, the, the closest exactly, thing the closest that, thing that this like, town has to murder. You brought these dangerous people into my house, but they're just people who are going to get excited about a Reggie <laughs> Jackson baseball bat and... And anybody who was a little bit more savvy about anything like this, who'd been in any kind of dark situations before, would be like, I don't know if these guys know what they're doing, but these guys are like, oh, give them the reggae music that they want. They're out of their depth there, but like they can't even get like the reggae music right. Like she doesn't put right. the music on until after the gunshot. They're in the room for like what must be ten minutes. Like they're in there talking about baseball. They're in there, you know, <laughs> saying the Pledge of Allegiance or like what they think is the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to, to the flag of the United States, States of America and to the republic and under to the one invisible nation. Nations under God whose spacious God skies and amber and graves of liberty for all would d deliver us from freedom. There's so much time for the grandma to, like, pick literally anything to put on, the record player, and she still can't do that right. She has, like, the easiest part to play. Like, basically, you brought in these quote-unquote experts from outside to take care of their job, and you can't even do the one thing you need to do right just to sort of muffle up the sound. It's almost like their stupidity or Keanu's stupidity is infecting right. the world around them.
I think she was looking for the Johnny Mathis records, which was taking so right. long too. But I, I totally love the detail where they're like, "Oh, we're gonna kill this guy. Do you think we should say the Pledge of Allegiance or something?" <laughs> like just that moment, you know, it, it completes their characters. It just makes them feel like they knew what they were playing so well. I just totally love these guys. And so they shoot him, and this is, I guess, failed yeah. murder attempt number five. And they actually do shoot him. It goes through his chest, and we, we find out later that he has a gunshot wound and an exit wound. Like, the bullet, like, went through him. But they're like, of course he's dead. Like, what do you think? And they're all drinking to the dead man. They're all sort of, they, they have, like, a some kind of European, like, what nationality are they? Like, Ukrainian or something? Yeah. She's saying something, you know, some kind of cheers or toast or whatever. And then Keanu's Keanu just like... Oh, that's cool. Like, he has, he has no idea what's being said. He's just like, oh, I'm going to roll the punch. He's like, that's pretty cool. What should we drink to? Here's to joy. Nekomu bogdusho prosti. Nekomu bogdusho prosti. That's cool. Yeah, I think Tracy Ullman does start freaking out a little, though. Doesn't she start immediately regretting having killed him? Yeah, because she starts crying. And it's like right at that moment that Kevin Klein like appears downstairs in the living room wondering what's going on. Because you know he's not going to die in this movie, but like even if he were to die, like you know he's not going to die at the hands of these two buffoons. Like they, they can't do anything right. Like how are they going to be able to like, kill Which, somebody? I mean, properly? it's so ridiculous that people are having so much trouble killing a man who's laying immobile in bed. Like he's <laughs> not a hard target. <laughs> what also is great is that the gunshot actually woke him up. Like yeah. startled him out of his sleep. He didn't even <laughs> feel it, but he just wanted to know what that noise was. It's crazy. <laughs> and he's so out of it because he had two bottles of sleeping pills in his system. And he's just—he's like, "Do I know everybody?" And he's introducing himself to the killers, and the family's like, "Are right, you guys gonna get out of here? Like before? Like before? We'll figure this out." And they chase Keanu and William Hurt out, but it's not the last time we're gonna hear from them. But like they're sort of gone for a, a minute. River Phoenix gives them two hundred dollars because he's like, you you only wounded him like we like what's go- what good is that and Keanu's just like they have that another one of those little conferences and Keanu's just like okay like that's fair like we we didn't do the job we were gonna do but then maybe the line of the movie is that as they're walking out of the house William Hurt says to Keanu next time we do this we get paid in advance meaning you know next time somebody hires us to kill someone we're gonna get the money up front and Keanu just says if we keep shooting Joey. <laughs> Don't you think he might get suspicious? Like, just such a dumb dumb. remembered his name. Next time we do this, we're gonna get paid in advance. If we keep shooting Joey, don't you think he might get suspicious? Yeah, really. He's always yeah. like, who's Joey? That's true. <laughs> it seems like every time he opens his mouth in this movie, it's it's just gold. Well, when they walk out of the house, too, it's great because they walk out together, they say those lines, and then they go in completely different directions. But, like, more like Keanu doesn't know where he's going. He's just wandering off in a different direction. But also, like, they took a cab there, so they're not walking out to a car. Like, where are they going? Yeah, it's just so true to their characters. And then we cut to the police station where there's this guy saying, oh, you know, Harlan and his cousin Marlon, like, they're down at the bar saying that they got paid $5,000 to kill this guy, to kill Joey, and that they're just buying everybody drinks. So, like, I like that nothing about these characters make any sense in the best ways. They got less money than they were supposed to get, yet they're saying that they got more money, and they're, like, wasting the money that they do have just to sort of earn, like, fleeting goodwill. Like, there's such idiots but like it's yeah. also wonderfully perfect it's the american so. dream 
to buy around at the bar and just sort of yeah. be loved and admired for one night. And so the detectives now show up to the house, and they want to see Joey, but the family's trying to chase him away because even though he's not dead, he's laying in bed with, like, a bullet hole and another bullet grazing and, you know, doped out of his mind on sleeping pills. And, like, that's, so they have <laughs> that's not good. they him that he has a virus. So when the cops do go upstairs, he does say, oh, I have a virus. But... And I love how the cop was like, oh, my God, you should be in a hospital. Like, <laughs> you're dying. It's so great when an outsider has finally come into this situation and reacted properly for once, yeah. you know? He's like, get this man into a hospital immediately. Get all these people in prison. Well, because, like, these guys haven't been infected by the stupidity of Keanu Reeves. Like, they haven't interacted with him, so they're they're not tarnished by, like, the terrible stupidity yeah, of Harlan and Marlon. Yeah, these guys are actually Marlin. good cops, we learn. Early in the scene where they, you know, it seems everybody in the opening scene, it's like everyone in town goes to that pizzeria for lunch because they're hopping and they're just always so busy. But the cops come in and they're like, hey, good job catching the guy who's robbing all those 7-Elevens. Thanks for being out there. And they're like, you know what? It feels good to be appreciated. These guys are kind of set up early on to be normal, you know, like competent people, the most realistic. Isn't one of the cops, I just remember this now, isn't one of the cops like the only one who realizes that the drawing that Kevin Klein's son drew was a flower and not a pizza? Like, they're just very good at what they do. I mean, going back to Cage Club, the, the only, like, really smart cops we had sort of the entire run were from Gone in 60 Seconds. Like, we, we're much quicker to smart cops here than having to wait, you know, 40 movies or whatever to yeah, get to that in Cage Club. A, you know, I'm surprised it's a pretty small leap from Prince of Pennsylvania, where you had, like, the entire Pennsylvania police force going into the mine that's about to explode. And then, you know, just a few short movies later, we have some of the most competent cops in film history, it seems. So. And so they, they rush Kevin Klein off to the hospital, and everybody gets arrested. And then what's great is that Tracy Ullman's, like, trying to explain what happened. And, like, just like we're trying to recap on here, she's not even sure, like, was that the first right. time he got shot or was that the second time he got shot? She's like, hold on, like, I got to backtrack. Like, okay, so he hired those guys. And, like, I mean, we talked about, like, there's been five failed murder attempts. And, like, she's trying to make sense of also, it just as the cops trying to make sense of it. of all these people is that each of them are trying to take the blame for it. The, the grandmother, Joan Plowright, she's trying to say, oh, I did it. My daughter didn't do it. And then River Phoenix is trying to protect Tracy Ullman by being like, I did it, she didn't do it. And then she's protecting both of them by saying, no, 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 I'm the one who shot him, they didn't do it. I don't really want to see any of these characters go to jail either. Having just seen them all try and murder someone, I actually, you know, they built up a lot of empathy in that first act from me to be on their side for most of the movie. And the other weird thing is, I was kind of like, I think it was Kevin Klein in the first act, just being like his character, the womanizer and all that, I was kind of put off. But having seen him try to be murdered for an hour or so, also gets me on his side by the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I'm on everybody's <laughs> side here at the end, which is why when they all kind of reconcile, I buy it. I, I reconcile with them. Yeah, you're happy that they all forgive each other. <laughs> And there's there's a great line where, like again, like this we were talking about it earlier. I think that Carlin and Marlin are in jail, and Keanu's like, "Who's Joey?" And then William Hart's like, "The guy." He's like, "Oh yeah, the guy." <laughs> like the whole last 
12 hours of their life or whatever and the whole last 45 minutes of the movie like he's just he's he doesn't remember the simplest of details you know you were just charged to kill a guy and you would think that this would leave like a lasting impression on someone like either whether you were successful or failed you're gonna remember the guy you were supposed to kill and he and like then, meets nope. him and shakes his head and stuff <laughs> and is like who is that oh the guy we just tried to kill and then he walks into a door hey wow how you doing i'm okay who is this? You bailed us out. Yeah, I bail out everybody. I want to make a new start. Wipe the slate clean. I hear they may charge us with attempted murder. No, no, no. I I'm not going to prosecute. See, if I prosecute you, they're going to put Rosalie in jail, too. I don't want that. No, without me, they got no case. Don't worry. Hey, you know what happened? It wasn't personal or anything. Yeah. Right. I mean... We didn't even know you or anything. Yeah. We weren't friends or anything. Like now. No, no. It uh, wasn't the best way to meet. We better get out of here, you know, before they change their mind. Yeah, right. Oh, what a nice guy. Yeah. Who's Rosalie? I like that little meeting there moment at the end where he's meeting his murderers and all that. I really buy that Kevin Clyde's character is like, oh, man, like, I almost died from all of my bullshitting around, you know? Like, I really do feel like I need to stop this shit and be faithful to my wife. <laughs> it's so strange that he becomes friends with his assassins and stuff. I just, I don't know, I like that at the end. I just feel like that's a difficult moment, and it really came across naturally. The reason that they don't, that he doesn't press charges is because he, he loves Rosalie, right? Lindsay, do you remember reading what happened to the, after the woman in real life tried to kill her husband over like a series of time or whatever? I think like, they, they didn't did stay together, did stay they? stay together, but she did go to love, prison. True love Because wins. I don't think you can say, I don't press charges against someone who tried to kill me. I think right. the cops <laughs> yeah. will be like, we don't care if you want to press charges, this person can't get away with trying to kill you but they are or at least at the time of this movie because the attempts at murder happened in 83 and when this movie came out okay. articles started coming out about the real couple and they call them the happy couple of i love you to death so they were <laughs> still married at that point in time it's just so weird that we've seen keanu in prison joey you know you mentioned even episodes ago it was already a lot like it almost seems like every other movie he's gonna wind up in jail and here he is again at the end of this movie even though he gets released but another time behind bars and then i think his last line of the movie after kevin klein's like you guys can go like i'm not gonna be pressing charges he says i bailed out everybody i want to make a new start wipe the slate clean and then he's like because i love rosalie i'm in love with rosalie i don't want to press charges on her and then as they're walking out keanu's just like keanu not only walks straight into a door on the way out <laughs> but it's just like who's rosalie like does not remember joey but also does not remember rosalie just perfect i'm reading about the and, real people okay yeah <laughs> i thought i would tell you she okay, tried to have him killed five times the last time he was shot in the head and chest and then while he lay wounded for five days in their bed at home, she tried to poison him with chicken soup that was laced with barbiturates. It's I mean, what a what a premise for a comedy. <laughs> I'd like to see the dark, stark, and serious version of this now and, and get the Oscar bait version of this happening. It's almost like the last <laughs> 20 minutes of Act of Vengeance. Where the, the murders are successful and just everybody goes to jail. Oh, that's depressing. <laughs> 
but yeah, so the way that the way that Kevin Klein sort of rationalizes that he doesn't want to press charges that he says that his wife loves him so much she'd rather kill me than see me with another woman. She'd go to prison. She loves me so much. And so they get back together, and River Phoenix is a little bit bummed. I think, I guess in River Phoenix's world, you know, Kevin Klein gets killed, they get off scot-free, and then he's able to sort of swoop in on Rosalie, right? Yeah, that's what I was imagining was going on in the back of his mind is, yeah, I got to see this through to the end because the chances are if we get away with it, I can get away with her. I feel like we haven't really had a best ending yet in Keanu Club. I mean, we've had, like, satisfying endings, but I don't think we've really had one that we, like... Mm -hmm. You know, like, there's nothing like Birdie or just like that. That's like the per- like the perfect crazy way to end the movie. But here we have the perfect closing line. They're talking like, well, what happens if he cheats again? Just like, well, we'll kill him. You think Joey can be faithful to her? Anything is possible. They get me a box of candy. Hmm. What if he isn't? Have they shot him again? Just kidding. Like, that's just like, you know, we tried to do it once, like, we didn't get in trouble, like, we'll just do it again. 30 years later. Let's bring the whole cast back together. Mm. Yeah, well, most of the cast. Let's bring the surviving cast back together and see what kind of hijinks they can get into this time. Yeah, forget Bill and Ted 3. Let's do I Love You to Death 2. So a couple things quickly. Allison Porter, who was the, the daughter or one of the kids in Parenthood, I think oh. is Kevin Klein's oh, yeah, daughter yeah. in this movie. She has one line I when think... they have the argument at the diner, right? Isn't she oh, the yes. one who plays Miss Mary Mack? Which I also like because, I mean, that song is like, it's an earworm in the sense that, like, I st- I'm still thinking it now. And what I love about it in the movie is that for the next, like, three or four scenes, like, mm-hmm. Kevin Klein is singing that to himself as he's walking around. Like, this, you know, this little, like, rhyme or whatever. He's playing a game with his daughter. just words. can't get it out <laughs> of his head. Miss Mary Mack, 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 at the disco, tack, 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 and I'm looking at down on her back, 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 Heather Graham's going to return, and even Cowgirls get the blues. I feel like there's been a couple different people who are going to return in that movie, so that's sort of going to be a reunion of sorts for Keanu Club. This is the first River Phoenix Keanu movie. He'll be back in My Own Private Idaho. He met Keanu. He was, I guess he was just hanging around on set because oh. he was dating Martha Plimpton from Parenthood, and obviously he's the older brother of Joaquin Phoenix, and so he was just sort of on there, and they, you know, they became friends, and they made this movie together. I don't know if one got the other involved or what. And then while filming this movie, they apparently met and started talking to Gus Van Sant, and that's when they that's sort of what led to My Own Private Idaho coming out the next year. Mike, any other last uh, thoughts? Yeah, we don't really pick up too much on like the music in these movies as much, but I really enjoyed what I haven't heard in a long time since like the early 90s, late 80s, which is Steel Drum on the score. It opens up with like this really nice feels very 80s to me from what I remember, but you could hear the steel drums. And I also remember hearing them in like 80s action films as well, you know, like Commando. And so I was a little upset when the score kind of drops out for most of the movie, but I do like the music that we do get here. Well, thank you very much, Lindsay, for joining us. You'll be back in a couple episodes for a much shorter episode about Paula Abdul's Rush Rush video. So that's kind of exciting. So, But thank you for joining us for I Love You to Death. And I know that you loved it, I loved it, and hopefully one day it's Mike will find it in his heart lot. to love this movie too. <laughs> well, I like it to death. I'll say that okay. right now. There you go. So for all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can find out what we've done already, what we're doing next, all sorts of fun stuff. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Lindsay Gibb, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Keanu Club.